If you would like to support the Proper Mental Podcast, you can do so by joining the Patreon community. It's £5 a month, and for that you get early access to the episodes as soon as I record them. You also get the video recordings of these episodes that aren't available anywhere else. And it also allows me to keep this podcast ad-free. I don't want to interrupt these stories to try and sell you things. I don't want advertisements to get in the way of talking about mental health. I want to keep this show independent, and the Patreon allows me to do exactly that. You can also be a part of a Patreon community that's ever-growing and expanding, and it's filled with people who are passionate about talking about mental health, about getting into these deeper conversations. And hopefully as that community grows, there'll be all other sorts of behind-the-scenes content and different things that I'll be able to offer you for your money. If that sounds like something you'd like to be involved in, there's a link in the episode notes to get to the sign-up page, or you can go to patreon.com slash propermentalpodcast. And please know that any and all support is hugely appreciated. Thank you very much for listening. Welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Hello and welcome to episode 153 of the Proper Mental Podcast and my guest this week is Vanessa Cornell who is a surfer, a writer, a teacher, a messy mum of five and the founder of Nushu which is an organisation that holds a safe space and creates a supportive environment for those seeking to live authentic, inspired and joyful lives through the power of true community. But at one point in time Vanessa had everything that she thought she was supposed to She had the perfect family, she had the perfect life, but she had no idea who she really was. And it was this disconnection that pushed her to a dark place where she was forced to look at herself, to look at her life, and to work out how to connect with both of those things as well as the people around her. And in this episode, I chat to Vanessa about the breakdown and the breakthrough that forced her to really look at herself. We chat about living authentically. We talk about showing up and holding space and getting better. And we chat about what these things actually mean and how to get started with them. And it's a really lovely conversation. It certainly gave me a lot to think about. So I followed Vanessa on Instagram for quite a while. And her account, at Vanessa Cornell, is one of my favourites. I often share Vanessa's posts, often save them, I often screenshot them to kind of come back to later. And it's strange really because Vanessa works with women and her content on the whole is aimed at women and it's aimed at mothers. But a lot of what she writes really resonates with me and often I can be scrolling Instagram mindlessly and come across one of Vanessa's posts and it really kind of gives me pause for thought. It really gives me something to kind of reflect on or think about and I really like that. I like being challenged in that way. And something Vanessa and I talk about in this episode is curiosity and why it's important to be curious about ourselves, about why we think the way that we do, why we feel the way that we do, why we do the things that we do. And yeah, Vanessa's content certainly brings that out in me. And this episode really brought that out in me as well. And so, yeah, it was just really lovely to get the opportunity to speak to her, to ask her about her work, to kind of dig a bit deeper into some of these concepts. And she was just so lovely to chat to. And I can't thank her enough for her time. Everything you need to know about Vanessa and about Nushu is in the episode notes. 
If you'd like to know about more about me or the show, all my stuff is in the episode notes as well. There's also the link there for Patreon if you wanted to support the podcast, keep it independent, keep it ad-free, keep it going. You can do so by clicking the link. Another great way to support the show is to leave a review or a rating on whatever platform that you're listening to this on. And this is episode 153 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Vanessa Cornell. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast, and my guest this week is Vanessa Cornell. How are you, mate? I'm great. Doing great. Oh, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. You're in New York, right, Vanessa? I am. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the start start of your day today. Is it morning with you now? You know, I have five kids, so it's not the start of my day. My day started hours ago. I feel like I've already done a full day's work by the time I get to 9 a.m. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so we kind of... I've been up, I fed the dog, I've woken my kids up, I finished up homework, I walked them to school. So <laughs> done done all the things already. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's cool, man. It's um yeah, it's strange, but like time difference is always um I don't know, it's always so weird for me, right? The idea that we're kind of on these different routines and these different mm. paths, but we're all doing it at the same time simultaneously you know so yeah. here, it's the afternoon here so after this I'll go and get my kids from school so I'm kind of at the other end of the uh the other end of the the spectrum I suppose um I there's loads of stuff about your work Vanessa that I'm really keen to chat to you about today um a lot of the themes that run through it these things like uh, authenticity and vulnerability and connection and all these things and how they kind of impact our mental health and I feel like a lot of these words are we're used to hearing them and we're used to using them and that can sometimes be very different to actually embodying them and stepping into them, right? Yeah. Um, but I suppose before we get into all that, probably the best place to start is is with yourself and your own journey into where you are now and the work that you do. Where's the best place for us to jump in there, Mace? Where's, uh, where would you like to start? Well, I'll kind of use my story to illustrate your question about we think about authenticity, we think about vulnerability, but are we actually doing it? And part of the reason I think people aren't actually doing it is because they don't realize that they're living in a sea full of lies. They don't realize that they're pretending. They don't realize they've got a mask on for this person, a different mask on for that person. And that was the first 35 years of my life. So I was raised, you know, to be an overachiever by immigrant parents. And I was a classic, good girl, perfect, A plus student, went to Harvard, you know, national squash team. I did all the things correctly and I got all the praise for it. I was such a good girl and I got so much affirmation for it. So for the first, you know, 18 years of my life and beyond, I was doing the thing I thought I was supposed to be doing. And I had zero clue that there were a whole bunch of lies baked into that because what I was doing was meeting other people's expectations. I wasn't being true to who I was, but I'd never been taught to do that. I hadn't been trained to do that. I'd been trained to do the opposite. And so I think a lot of us have been trained to lie, to show up not as ourselves, to show up as the thing that we think we're supposed to be because we get positive feedback. So when I talk to a lot of women, there's so, men too, but I work mostly with women. There are so many common themes of being a good girl, being a people pleaser, showing up the way people expect them to show up. And at some point, and this happened to me, 
it gets to a point where your inner voice starts talking to you and your inner voice starts saying like, this isn't right. This doesn't feel right to me. But what happens particularly with very capable women is we're really good at ignoring that inner voice. We're really good at putting it away and shushing it down. And so I did that for years and years and years. And I had five kids very quickly in six years. So I was pregnant, breastfeeding or both for eight years straight. But that whole time I wasn't complaining. Nothing was wrong. Nothing hurt. Anything that was kind of dissonant with this image of it's all good. It's all fine. I'm a easy, breezy, perfect mom was being suppressed until one day it couldn't anymore. And I just cracked. I cracked under the pressure. And so that was maybe the best thing that could have ever happened to me because in that break, I started to explore, what do I actually want? <laughs> what do I actually like? What do I even like? What do I actually need? What do I actually want? Because for so long, my needs and my wants were, you know, put in a box, chains around it and thrown to the depths of the ocean. Because in my mind, there were so many other people to take care of, so many other people to prioritize. I was never going to get to my needs. It was much easier to just not have them. Yeah, I just sure. don't have any needs. I, I'm not even going to listen to my needs because if I hear you, but I can't have it, that's painful. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to numb myself. So it actually took a long time for me to reconnect with what I liked, what I needed, what I wanted. And I talk to a lot of women and I say, what do you, what do you need? And they say, I don't even know. I don't even know. And so that was kind of the origin of starting to stop lying to myself, of starting to like, you can't live authentically if you don't know who you are. If you don't know what you like, if you don't know what you want, if you don't know what you think, if your default has always been to like and want and think what you thought other people would accept you for, you're out of practice. And you're out of when you're out of practice and people say, live authentically, do what you believe in, but you don't know what you believe in and you don't know what you know, you don't know who you are, you don't know what your truth is. It's very hard to do that. So the first step is to develop a practice because decades of conditioning can't be unlearned with one Instagram quote, you know, or you can't read the Instagram quote that says live authentically and be like, oh, I figured it out because you've been conditioned for decades not to live authentically. So it doesn't happen right away. You have to take all of the time and the effort and the energy that has been put into conditioning you in one way to decondition yourself. But yeah. the good news is when it's been trained into you, it can be trained out of you. Yeah, of course. That makes a, a lot of, a lot of sense. And that kind of that um, authenticity, that relationship we have with ourselves. So I think where it gets really, really messy is because it's kind of like, it's the foundation for everything else, right? So from like my own experience, I wasn't living very authentically for a, a long, um, for a long, long time. But then because of that decisions I made, made were based on that lack of authenticity. And I picked things like, you know, the people I spent time with or the work that I did was based on a, on a version of me that wasn't real. So then I was constantly doing more things that like reinforced that authenticity and it's it's almost it's hard to unpick isn't it like our connection to all the all the things that we um find ourselves doing and and it's really scary because it feels like this life that i've built 
as a person who I'm not. When I start to be the person who I am, I'm going to lose it all. I'm going to lose it all. I'm going to blow up my whole life. And what I'll say to that is, what I usually say to people is, when you're living a life and you have this inkling and you have this feeling that the life that you're living doesn't match who you are, often people will think, I have to go change the life I'm living. I have to fix the life I'm living in order to feel more authentic in myself. And they think I got to change my circumstance. I got to quit my job. I've got to move. I've got to, you know, divorce, get divorced. I got to change all my friends. And what I say to people is don't worry about the life that you have. Just worry about you. Just develop a practice of connecting to you. Just keep saying like, who am I? What do I want? What do I need? And then maybe actually the problem is not the life you have. It's the problem how you're, it, the problem is how you're living in it. And if there is true dissonance between the life that you have and the people in it or the place where you're living or the job that you're holding, if you develop and cultivate that connection to self, it will become very clear and easy. And it won't feel like a break or a breach. It'll feel like a natural move away from. It'll be so clear and obvious. So you're not in this place of like intellectual pro and con, right? Where you're like grappling with a decision, where you're wrangling with a decision. If you're wrangling with it, you haven't done enough work to create clarity. If in your mind you're like, it is so obvious to me now, that this place I'm living no longer aligns, that decision becomes clear. And I'm not saying that if it becomes clear to you that you shouldn't be married, or if, if it becomes clear to you that you need to leave your job, that it isn't difficult or painful, but it becomes kind of the only way forward, the obvious answer. And so rather than sort of trying to change your outer world to fix your alignment with yourself, don't worry about that for now. Just fix your alignment with yourself, continue to get to know each other, and you'll find things start to shift in your outer world naturally. Those people who really don't connect to who you really are, maybe you don't need to make a big declaration of, we're not friends anymore. You're just going to naturally gravitate to spending time with other people, developing other relationships, putting your energy into other relationships. So I say that because it's scary. It's scary to have a life built around someone who you're not. And it's scary to show up to those people as this new person. Right? I had a lot of I had a lot of sort of feelings of people rolling their eyes, right? Oh, Vanessa's gone all spiritual. Vanessa's gone all woo-woo on us. And those things keep arising and they will arise. And so it's not to say that once you start connecting with yourself, that everything just falls into place. It's hard. It's hard. But that's part of the awareness of like, okay, I'm I'm shifting patterns. There's going to be a little discomfort. There's going to be a little bit of adjustment. Um, but if I stick to my guns, the world will settle in around who I actually am. Yeah, sure. With regards to, you know, your own breaking point when you got to that point that you knew things had to change did that kind of because it's easy to look back on these things with like hindsight mm -hmm. um and be like oh yeah there was all these things going on but when you were in there in the moment did that kind of catch you by surprise or you know like did that just kind of explode oh, for you? it was a hot mess I mean it was horrible it was horrible my my husband 
who is just a prince among men, kind of stepped back and was like, there's something happening here. And he was just steady. But I was awful. I was messy. I, it, I was like, I'm out. I'm out of this whole life. I, I don't want to be married. I don't want to have children. I don't want to live in this city. Like, I'm going to go sit in a cave in India. That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm out. And he knew I didn't, well, he knew before I knew that that's not actually what I wanted. It was this pent up pressure of always doing what I was supposed to do. And so the reaction was the complete opposite, the complete rebellious action. And it was a really, really tumultuous time. It was really, really difficult. Um, but was what kept me tethered was, and I remember this very distinctly, I was walking through Central Park and I said, I don't know what's true anymore for me. I don't know anything anymore. My mind was awash. I was flooded. I don't know anything that's true for me anymore. And then it came to me, I am never leaving my children. There was one single truth that I knew to be true, not in terms of this is what I believe, but this is who I am. It is not who I am as a human to leave my children. It's never going to happen. And so that one truth anchored me down and I held on to the one anchor that I built, rebuilt my life around. And the reason I tell people you don't need to blow up your outside life to reconcile your inner world is because that's what I first did. What I first did was like, let me blow up my outside life. I walked into classrooms in New York and I was like, what am I doing here? What am I doing here with my children in these private schools in New York and these people? And my whole life, I was like, I don't belong here. And as I reconnected to myself, I realized it's not about the stuff around me. It's about how I'm living inside of it. And so I connected to my authentic self inside my external circumstance, because the external circumstance was never the problem. It was always me. It was always me and my lack of connection to self. And so I had that one truth that tethered me to the ground and I built it around it. And now I can say, it doesn't matter where I live. It doesn't matter what the kind of stuff around me is. I can be genuinely who I am, prioritize my time and my love in the way that I want to create the relationships in the life that I want for myself, because I know exactly who I am and I know exactly what I want. And I prioritize it. I honor it. It's important. What I want is important. And so it's, I thought it was about the external circumstance. I I wasn't thinking at the time, right? I was just reacting. I was reacting to the external circumstance, thinking that that's what I needed to blow up, but that's that wasn't true. Yeah, I suppose like it's it's quite common, isn't it, that that response is to like just get as far away, and you know things like travel and you know go into India, and these things do become like a lot of people say that, right? You know, I said similar things like you know like that myself, but I suppose you get all the way to India. And uh, you can do all the retreats and you can, you know, do all the things, but you're still you, right? You still, if you haven't changed you, then it doesn't matter where you take yourself. Yeah. And, and you know, creating space to connect with yourself is great. Going to India is great. But if you're disconnected from yourself in New York or you're disconnected from yourself in India, it doesn't matter where you are. You're still disconnected from yourself. And what I realized was, yeah, it'd be really nice to go sit in a cave in India for a month. But I don't have the luxury of that. I have five children who are depending on me. 
And so in some ways I realized taking off is the cop out. Doing this inside your life is harder. Creating that self-awareness, creating that self-connection inside a life where you have obligations is harder. And maybe actually that's my work. That's exactly my work to do it inside my life so I can help guide people who can't take off and leave to do it inside their lives. And so the pieces started clicking together where it's like, this is hard, but possible and available to people. You can create this reality for yourself where you wake up in the morning and you say, I think I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And you live every day with the expectation that one day, hopefully surrounded by all of my grandchildren on my deathbed, I can look back and say, I did everything I wanted to do. I, in my lifetime, did as much as I could to be true to who I am. Yeah, that would be, uh, that's the goal, right? That's the dream to, uh, to get to the end and go, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah and, so, so lovely. And, and there's no, um, time that's too soon to start. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. I think it's, um, I don't know there's a, it can be when you get that little kind of glimpse behind the curtain that something's not right. And again, I'm kind of talking about my own experience, I suppose, mm. but it's, it's quite common. There can be, because that change is scary, like you mentioned before, there can be a real, like such a, a resistance to it. And for me, that's, that was the hardest bit is I got caught in that resistance and I did so many things to, to not make the changes. So I read all the books, like every, like you name a book, I've read the book and I did all the reading and none of the doing, but I think it's when we get like trapped in that, in that space where we kind of deep down, we know that we need to, we need to do and we need to change, but we're scared of it and don't want to. And it's being trapped in that middle place. I think that that's certainly where my, where the root of a lot of my mental health challenges lie was just spending too long. And I'm, I'm talking years, just like trapped between the, the way I knew and the, and the way I didn't, but we're incredibly resilient as human beings. We can sit in that space and grind it out for a long time. Can't we? Yeah. And, and I think there's a real difference between knowing something intellectually and knowing something in your whole being. You can totally read a book and be like, that makes total sense to me. I understand that intellectually, but it's so different than believing it. And that's where practice comes in. You cannot take a set of ingrained patterns and read a book that's intellectual and convince your body to believe it. You have to actually practice it. And I think the best way to practice it is with other human beings. So to me, a lot of my work is group work. A lot of it is about saying, okay, you're going to practice being honest with a group of people where there's an understanding of confidentiality. There's an understanding of trust that's been built where you can say exactly what's coming up for you and exactly what you feel. And these people are going to receive it without judgment and they're not going to try and fix you and they're not going to give you advice. They're just going to like receive it and hold it. And it's in that practice of, oh, okay. People didn't run out the door screaming, saying, because you had that thought or because you had that feeling, you're not a good person anymore. And so we have to kind of retrain ourselves through practice. And I think the receiving of the unsavory, darker 
parts of ourselves, which are the ones we tend to want to hide, the receiving of that by another person with love allows us to soften into those things. And so I think I'm a huge proponent of saying things out loud to someone you trust. I think it's very different to think something in your head than to say it out loud to somebody. So when you're thinking something or you're feeling something and maybe you're feeling something and then on top of that, you're feeling shame about feeling that and you're trying to suppress it. If you can say it out loud, it really softens all of that and allows it to come out. And so we move out of the intellectual space and we move into this space of, oh, it's safe. It's safe to be who I am and think what I think and express it in this way. And this nervous system exchange between another person when another person is steady in the face of your upset or the face of your sharing or your face of your emotions it's like, oh, it's safe to be that. And so we will never, we will never go to a place that we think is unsafe. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our body won't let us. Yeah. Physiolo- physiologically, you just designed not to, right? Yeah. 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 And it's brilliant actually, right? The body is brilliant in that way and that it's really trying to protect you. But if you're always in protection mode and you don't feel safe, you won't change. There's nothing you can think in your brain that is going to make you change if your body does not feel safe. Yeah. What were your um what were your first steps Vanessa to kind of exploring that because it, again it's what it's I think a lot of people will hear what you're saying and go that is that makes so much sense to me, you know. I know that's certainly the the case with me and it yeah. It, it can be very difficult to know where to start, you know. And I think if there is that resistance as well people say like, well it's all right for you. You know, well, it's all right for Vanessa to do this. It's all right for Tom to talk about this, but I can't for whatever reason. And it's hard to put in those small baby steps to, to get, get going with, you know, you first, you've got to admit, right. That you need to, to, to find yourself to change and then you've got to start. And that's, that's difficult. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like you, I read everything. I listened to every podcast. I'm a really curious person. And I was like, it was like my full-time job. I mean, I had five kids too. But, you know, mothers basically can carry two to three full-time jobs at any given time, right? So at that time, I had a full-time job and I treated this also like a full-time job. I read everything. And then I realized as I started to connect to myself, I had this like tremendous creative energy coming out of me. So I didn't just need input. I needed output. I needed to do something. And I didn't really know what that thing was that I needed to do. And so I just said, let me just start with one thing. And so I invited a meditation teacher to come in and I invited a bunch of friends into my living room and I did that. And then I found someone else I resonated with and I invited them into my living room. I'm not saying that everybody needs to do this, but it was this kind of like, I don't need to get to the end to start. I don't need to know where I'm going to start. I just need to start, go where my curiosity takes me. And so I would say sometimes people think there's this huge, massive change ahead of me, and I have to figure out what's at the end to begin the journey. How would I possibly know how to get from point A to point B without knowing point B first? And I'm going to sit here at point A until I know where point B is. Instead, I think it's Just take the next step that feels right to you. And you can't do it alone. Nobody does it alone. So whether it's a 
group that feels good to you, whether it's therapy, whether it's an online course, find somebody that you resonate with and learn and try not to do it alone. And think this may not be the thing ultimately that fixes me. Not that that's a thing, right? People don't need to be fixed. But let me just start somewhere. Be curious. Start with one thing. And I think it's important to say to yourself, is this a journey I should be doing alone? Or is this a journey where I need support? And I think that's a lot of times where people get stuck. We don't like to ask for help. We don't like to ask for support. But this doesn't happen alone. We need people. We cannot sit in our own minds and think we're going to change. That's the really important piece because everything we do in life is relational. So you can't change your life, which is relational by not being in relationship with others. So right. I think, I think groups, frankly, are one of the most powerful underutilized modalities. You, you see it in AA, for example, right? The power of being in a group of people um, struggling with the same thing. But outside of AA, it's pretty hard to find to find groups, um, which is why when I was on my journey of, you know, I've listened to everybody, I've learned from everyone, I've read all the books, what's the missing thing? What's the thing that's mine to give the world? And I really felt that group was an unbelievably powerful and underutilized modality for people in therapy, for people not in therapy, for people just dealing with everyday things, because change happens in relation to other people. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think like loneliness is a kind of modern epidemic, right? Like, so it, it's, sure. like a, it's so, so common. And uh, we can have like, you know, all these hundreds and thousands of friends on social media and it feels like connection, but it's not connection, right? It's just this like, it's a, it's, it's great connection, but it's not true connection, you know? And I remember I've been through so many levels with this over the years, but I live where my wife's from. So I moved here. So I didn't know anyone at all, you know? And then I used to like, I used to double down on that. And I'd say things like, oh, I don't need anyone. I'm one of life's mm -hmm. solo artists. I only need me. I like, I'm an introvert and I like my own company. And that's true. That's still true. But I used to hide behind that. Right. And really it was because I was, I was, I was scared, you know, I was scared to, and that's something I still have to work on. And I think that's really, really, again, common for people is to, like scared to kind of, you have to be vulnerable to get out there and, and, and make friends and to find that group, whatever that group looks like for you, it starts with doing something that, you know, it, you feel like you don't want to do. Eh? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, I, I, people are like the antidote to loneliness is surrounding yourself with people. It's not true. You can be surrounded by people and still be deeply lonely. The antidote to loneliness, I think, is being willing to show yourself to others. Because whoever you're connecting with on social media, if that's not who you are, that's not actually connection to you. That's connection to your avatar, <laughs> right? If you have an avatar that is connecting with everyone in the world, you're still alone. The person you are is still alone. And so, yeah, I mean, I've said like people say like, just be yourself. Just be yourself is one of the scariest things to do. Because if you're actually yourself and you actually show somebody who you are and they reject you, they're rejecting you, who you actually are. It's terrifying. So it's like there needs to be real honor to the courage it requires 
to show yourself to somebody and how walking this path towards authenticity isn't like, just be yourself. It's so easy. Like, no, it's really, really hard. It's really, really scary because what you risk is people withdrawing their love, people rejecting you. However, I will say that is the risk and that is the fear. But if you're consistent with it and you have some discernment about who you show yourself to, what you actually receive is the opposite. People are really drawn to people who are real. People are really attracted to people who are real. People really feel safe and comfortable to show themselves to people who are willing to show themselves to you. And so the reward is deep connection, being able to receive a lot of love, being able to give a lot of love. But yeah, it's really scary to expose yourself in that way. Yeah. Do you find you have to um, keep an eye on yourself, Vanessa, when you're working with other people? It's, it's something that so a guest once said to me, I um, interviewed a poet called Bethany Rose, who's an incredible, incredible person. And she's, we were talking about this sort of stuff. And she said to me, there's a difference between being looked at and being seen. And that landed with me so hard, particularly when I started doing this podcast and people had asked me to come and talk about my story and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, look at me, how vulnerable I am. I'm talking about my darkest moments, but I wasn't, I was putting it in a nice little package with a bow on and dropping it down on your doorstep for you to do whatever you wanted with. But I was being looked at, but I wasn't being seen. Mm. And I think sometimes when we, yeah, when we do things for other people, it's easy to fall into that role of like, this it becomes almost a new identity right and that's the whole point mm. is to get rid of these identities is yeah. that something you have to keep an eye on yourself with uh you know with working with these groups yeah so the fundamental premise of working with a group is that the facilitator is not the teacher that's why it's so appealing to me the facilitator is a human with a set of skills and a set of responsibilities for keeping the group running but they are not and i i do a facilitator facilitator training they don't need to be some special brand of more evolved human. And they don't need to pretend to be some special brand of evolved human. I think this is a real problem in the personal growth and self-help world where teachers feel that in order to have authority, they need to set themselves apart in some way. They need to be less messy, less flawed, more evolved. And so I actually think to be a responsible teacher in this space, you need to have a practice of reminding yourself and actively reminding everybody that you work with that you are just as human, that you are just as vulnerable, that you are just as messy as everybody else, and to not pretend. And I don't think people are pretending to in some way make themselves feel self-important. I think people feel like, oh, I'm now in this role and the role requires of me to be this way. And it's just not true because if you're really a teacher and you're really trying to help people to learn about themselves, to grow as humans, it's unhelpful. It's unhelpful to show only the part of you that feels curated and clean, because then what those other people see is that's what I need to aspire to. That's what all this work is going to lead me to. And if I'm messy and human, I must be doing something wrong. When in fact, you're not. Because I don't care how much work you do and how evolved you are, you will for the rest of your life 
be a messy human because that is the nature of being human, right? You will, for the rest of your life, be like, I'm so clear about my relationship with this person and this person no longer activates me. And then you are going to find yourself in a place and you're going to be like, oh my goodness, there it is again. Wow. I thought that one was done. There it is again. It's like, okay. And so anyone who's really honest can be really honest about themselves and can be really honest in the way that they present themselves to other people and can allow themselves to be seen even in a place of standing on stage. Those are the teachers that are the most powerful because what they're teaching people is that every step along the way, you are allowed to continue to be human. Mm. I suppose that's where the real power is in the group work as well, right? To have a circle of people who are all expressing that and trying to get to that place because it's so easy to like lie to yourself if you're doing it on your own it's so easy oh i've got this and you know but to 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 be in that space you really have to you have to do it you have to mean it you know people that will know otherwise right it's um yeah and the power of the group space is also that you know what you say is for yourself and it's also for others you speak entirely from your own experience but what people will receive from that is oh i'm not alone that person feels that too or, oh, interesting, I have that inside me also. So there's such deep insight and wisdom in the group. I've talked to so many people who have done group work and they're like, it just ne- it just always works. It always works. Because when you just speak from your own experience, you're basically sharing a little piece of your humanity with the other people. And everyone else is sharing a little piece of their humanity. And when that comes together in a group, there's this real sense of shared humanity oh, we all kind of struggle with different versions of the same thing. Because when it comes down to it, all of our struggles are kind of different versions of the same thing. We can have completely different lived experiences, which actually adds to the richness of the group, right? In your totally different lived experience of the world, at the end of the day, you are also struggling with a sense of, I'm never enough. You are also struggling with a sense of, I'm scared to show myself to other people. And so that's that to me is the power of the group work, is that we can see in other people their shared human messiness, fears, struggles, worries, and all of a sudden, all of ours start to feel less like we're carrying them all alone. Yeah, I suppose, you know, the we talked before about getting started, and there's that real, like, I think fear of failure, you know, people, if I start down this path and it, and it all goes wrong, but yeah, when you, when you see that other people think like that and it's not just you and things going wrong, isn't always wrong, right? We kind of, we think it's going to be wrong. And I was thinking about that when you were saying before and everything I've ever set out to do has never gone how I thought it was going to do when I set out right? It's always ended up into something else. And sometimes that was a good something else. And sometimes that was a not so good something else, but it's never been it. The, the, the path, I suppose, never goes the direction we think it's going to, but sometimes it's the stuff along the way. That's the, that turns out to be the thing, right? You think you're doing one thing and really you're finding something else, but I suppose working in those groups gives people the confidence to get started because when you know that you're human and fallible and you're probably going to fuck it up 
and all these other people are like, yeah, us too. There's something yeah. in that, isn't there? There is yeah. really something in that. And and I think it's interesting when people think about like working on themselves, right? Like I, a lot of people will say like, oh, I still have this and I have, but I'm working on it. I think it's a really interesting way that people say it. Like, like you're a construction project and you're like working on it. You got to like chip away at this and you've got to like get rid of that. And I think that when we think about that, like that is all based on a, there's something wrong with me that I have to fix. There's something fundamentally wrong with me and I got to work really hard to fix it, which means get rid of that push that away, stop doing that, right? And so it comes from this premise that is unhelpful and actually is pushing us in the wrong direction because the direction we need to go in to me is not, I'm looking at that place over there where I'm gonna be this evolved, better, better person like my teacher, <laughs> you know? I'm going to be this evolved better person and I got to like hustle my way over there and maybe I can't make it and I'm going to fail. Right. To me, that's a totally unhelpful premise because you're just looking and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I think I might fail. I think I'm, I think I'm not good enough. So to me, the work is about an inward spiral to yourself. It's about knowing yourself. And there's only one direction. It's not outward. It's not to some other ideal. It's not to be like that person. And it's not hard work. It's like a softening into what's going on inside. Oh, what did that person activate in me? Let me go look at that. What does that remind me of in my childhood? Let me go look at that. Let me be really soft with myself. Let me just get to know, let, let me be really curious about my inner workings. Let me be really curious about why I have such a strong protective energy around myself when it comes to this or when it comes to that. And so to me, when you're looking for teachers or you're looking for work to do, to sort of start on this path, I would look for a couple of things. I would look for somebody who's really focused on the fact that you are the one who knows. It's not prescriptive according to what somebody else does. They're giving you techniques to get in touch with who you are and what you know, rather than giving you prescriptions for how to run that race to be ultimately at a place over there. And that when you start to just say like, I just need to know myself, I need to understand myself, then you start to have clarity on what your next step is out in the world. So that's, that's kind of what I would say about the approach to like working on something. And this feeling of like, I don't know, there's, you know, there's so much wrong with me. <laughs> How can I even start? Right? That's a just a false premise. We are all, there's nothing wrong with you. There's just the way that your mind and your body has managed your life experience until now, some of which maybe doesn't serve you anymore. And if you can go and take a look at that and start to unravel that, you can make shifts so that 
things serve you in your life now, but there's nothing wrong with you. Whatever you've done until now, it makes sense. And there was a reason for it. Yeah, that's such a lovely way of putting it, you know, and I think so much changes, isn't it? When you find that compassion for yourself, you know, and you look at your, your, your habits or the things that you think, the things that you say, and rather than criticizing yourself or seeing them as negative to look at it in that way and have compassion for the fact that, you know, you, you just at that time you were doing the best you could with what you had, right. It just, maybe yeah. you didn't have that, that much, but I think that self-compassion is, is, is huge. But did you find, um, you know, the more you started to make these changes and that, that kind of like radiated out of you, I found I couldn't work on connection for myself with other people till I connected with myself. I couldn't have compassion for others until I found it for me. And there was a big shift in how I navigated the world that there was also a little bit scary sometimes the world feels feels too too fast for me too aggressive for me you know I'm trying to find my my feet in it but I think that's so much changes doesn't it when we find that for ourselves um, yeah it kind of like yeah it spills out a little bit I think oh there's there's no question and I think that um I don't know that we'll ever fully know the ripple effect of doing our own healing but sometimes you can really see it, particularly if you have a family. So the ripple effect of doing my own healing with respect to my children, there is no question it makes me a much better mother, it makes right. me a much better partner. It makes me a much better friend. And so sometimes people are like, it's, it's, it's self-indulgent. It's selfish to do my own, you know, to focus on myself so much. I have so many people to take care of. I need to not focus on myself. Uh, particularly a lot of mothers I work with with, this, with respect to their children. And I'll say to them the same line I said before, you need to treat this like your full-time job, but I have a full-time job. I have children. I'm like, you're a mother. You can have multiple full-time jobs, you know, but the healing work that you do for yourself is the biggest gift that you can give your kids because all of the patterns that you inherited from your parents, if you don't start to see them and unravel them, you're just going to pass them right along. You're going to take that baton of dysfunction and you're going to go like this and you're going to hand it to your children. And so that work that you do to interrupt that cycle and to say, oh, interesting. When my kid doesn't do well on a test, it activates some part of me that was told that I'm not worthy unless I do well on a test. And if I can heal that in me, I can approach it really, really differently with my child. So yeah, the, I mean, the ripple effect is huge. But to your comment about the world is a little bit too fast. My coping mechanism until I started to really learn about my inner landscape was just numb. I was a, you know, an athlete and I did a lot of like long distance, you know, extreme sports racing. And it was like, I don't even feel pain in my body. I got really, really, really good at just numbing and ignoring. And as you unlearn numb and you start to feel more, well, you start to feel more. And so there have been times where I called a friend and I was like, I changed my mind. Give me the blue pill. Put me back in the matrix. This is too much. This is too much. I feel too much. Because as you start to undo that coping mechanism of numb and start to feel more, yeah, you can feel the joy and the connection and the love more, but you also feel the pain more. And so the roller coaster ride, which was like this, starts to go like this. But it's beautiful. 
and sometimes hard. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's um, it's tricky, isn't it? It's really, really tricky because then, yeah, like you say, it opens the doors. And once you've had a peak, you can't go back. That you know, Morpheus isn't just going to turn up, right, and switch no. it all off for you. And no, that no. can be the that can be the the hardest thing. Yeah, and, yeah. You once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm, yeah, definitely. And that's uh, I used to say that a lot, like in um, my therapy sessions very early on. I used to say, I just I don't want to be like I want just want to go back. I just want to plug back in. I want to go back and just sit at my desk and not care about these things. And you know, yeah. I kind of I was envious of people who could. You know, like I kind of was like I wanted some totally. of that. And it, yeah, it's a I think. Yeah, again, that's I think that's quite common as well. But it's you because you're almost forced to do the thing you don't want to do, the thing that scares you the most, and you don't even know what that thing is, so you're just scared. <laughs> yeah, and, then, and like and like being a human is freaking wild, right? And it's like especially at that moment, I have this joke with my friends, my therapist friends, who are like, you know, done a lot of work. They're super self aware. It's like just when you think you're like, I'm sailing, I'm good, I'm good. And then God's like, ha, ha, that's hilarious. That's so cute. I'm, I've done so much work. I'm so evolved. I've got this. I've got this thing called life. And then life will throw you something where you're like, oh, you know, and you're just like flat on your back. And you're like, oh, like, wow, wow. That one really hit me. And the only thing we know is that that's for sure. You know? It's like you, you you think that you do all this work and that like your life will be like, oh, like, like love and light and Zen and happy. Like, no, that's actually the opposite. Right. You think you do this work to be on this ride that's like even keeled. It's like, no, you do this work so that when you're on that roller coaster of up and down, you can actually ride it and have the self-trust to know I can, I can ride this all the way up to the highs. I can ride this all the way down to the lows. Like I can actually allow myself to have the full range of the human experience because I have the skills and the tools and the self-trust to let myself take the whole ride. I don't need to cut myself off here. I don't need to cut myself off there. I can have the whole thing. And so that's the idea of being on the deathbed and saying, I allowed myself or I built the tolerance and the skills and the tools and the support system to allow myself to have the full range of the human experience. Yeah. There's something like so empowering. There's so much to be said for like being able to just trust your own innate ability to figure it out in the moment, you know, yeah. like just really to just go into things blind and say, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'll say the right thing, but I think when called upon, when I, someone asks me that question or when it's time to say something or do something that I, I will react and it'll probably work out, you know, and I, it, that, I think that's a really powerful thing to do is just to, to, to kind of know you can. Yeah. And I think that's the key for all of the worriers out there. People who are always worrying about things or anxious about things. Worrying is basically pre-planning for a potential event in the future that may or may not happen. And it's really, really difficult because you don't know what's going to happen. So you've got to pre-plan for all the scenarios. It takes a huge amount of mental and emotional energy to pre-plan for infinite scenarios that may or may not happen. And the way to pierce that cycle of rumination is to say, 
I trust just what you said, that when that situation arises, that I'm going to be able to meet it. And the amount of energy that we can save by doing that is huge, is huge, particularly if you have a tendency towards worry or anxiety or pre-planning. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I, I wanted to ask you actually about um a, about a few sort of specific words or some terminology, because I think when mm -hmm. it comes to wellness, it's so easy for people to write things off as, um, you know, as woo-woo or as nonsense, that sort of fluffy side to it. And um, of course, yeah, when we're being like compassionate to ourselves and we're trying to make changes, yes, sometimes we need to be like really gentle. We want to be kind, we want to be a bit fluffy at times, right? But I... Mm -hmm. I sometimes think as well, like sometimes compassion is like, it's holding yourself to account, right? And showing up for yourself. Sometimes compassion isn't letting yourself off the hook. It's making you do the thing. And I think sometimes what these words mean, are get a little bit lost in the, in the wellness space. And I was wondering if I could just, just run a couple of them past sure. you, Vanessa, but I know that you do um, a course about holding space. And that's something that we say a lot, right? Holding space. But I was interested in what holding space means to you. Like, how do you see that? Yeah. Yeah. So when I think about holding space, I think about like in that group setting, creating a space of permission and trust where somebody knows that what you are expecting of yourself is to give them the space to show up as who they are. So it's really being able to say like, the world is scary out there to be exactly who you are. And what I'm saying to you is I have the capacity to be a witness to you in exactly who you are. And so it's pretty simple, right? It's like, I come, come to me and talk to me about whatever's going on in your, in your heart and in your mind. And I will be a witness to that without judgment, without trying to fix you and with love and with compassion. Seems really easy, right? But I'm also a human. And so in order for me to hold space for you, I have to manage my own experience. I have to manage what you, what you say might activate in me. I have to be aware that that's me, not you. And so a lot of times when you go to somebody and you talk to them, what you'll get is their internal reaction to what you're saying. They might be uncomfortable with what you're saying, so they try and shut you down by changing the subject. Or they might be uncomfortable with you having an emotional experience, so they'll hand you a tissue and comfort you so they stop. But they're not even aware that they're doing that, right? They're just basically trying to manage their own experience by saying something to you, by giving you advice. I'm really uncomfortable with the idea that this is really hard for you, so I'm going to give you five things I think will fix it. When what the other person really just needs is for you to be like, yeah, that's really hard. Like I'm, I'm going to manage my own discomfort with your discomfort and say like, yeah, that's really hard. I don't need to go and fix you. I don't need to give you advice. I don't need to tell you, oh, me too. I've had the same experience. I can just hold what you have to say. And so having that kind of spaciousness for somebody to practice and experiment with, this is true for me without somebody intervening, that's, that's what holding space is. And it's really hard. It's really challenging. It requires a lot of practice because what it requires is for you to do all of your own self-work and all of your own awareness. So I, I, I think I, I put this on Instagram, but it's this quote that's like, 
Holding space is super easy as long as you have no old stories, fears, worries, or triggers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's super easy. It's no sweat as long as you're not a human being, right? And so so that's really what it is. It's like I am going to manage my own experience so that I can give you the space to express yourself in your truth and have your full experience of the truth. Yeah. I mean, even just saying it like that, it just sounds really beautiful, you know, like really, um, yeah, beneficial. And yeah, it's, it's, it's rare. Yeah. Yeah. It's rare to have a space like that. Therapy is an interesting space like that, right? Because you're basically, that's the premise of the whole thing. The premise is you are here to listen to me. You are here and I know I have permission to share what's going on with me in this space, right? And so I love therapy for that reason. But in your life with your friends, with your partner, sometimes that permission doesn't exist. Sometimes people feel like, oh, I can't really burden this person with this. They don't really want to hear it, you know? And they also don't have the skill to sort of say like, I'm just going to hold and let, let you express yourself. And so I think that people when they come to groups are really shocked because they've never had that experience before of that full space and permission to just say what's on their mind without somebody needing to or being allowed to that's why I structure my groups in this, this way being allowed to respond you can really hear yourself think in a different way when you've got just a little bit of space around it and it's amazing what insights can download in that space Mm, yeah yeah definitely i suppose that leads to a more true level of vulnerability which is another thing that we band around all the time right you see on instagram all the time about vulnerability and um it's i don't know like again it's hard to find right it's hard to find that level of you can you can avoid and i'm talking about myself here i can avoid um being vulnerable by talking about vulnerability right you know if <laughs> yeah you, when yeah you can when you because it's hard you when you kind of you do a bit of work on yourself and you're like you've done a lot of therapy over the years and you pick up some of the terminology and you get yeah. kind of like a bit of the ideas and you can kind of intellectualize some of this stuff to the point where it's a good way of getting out of doing it right and i think like vulnerability always fascinates me because we throw that word around yeah to be well, truly I have, vulnerable. yeah i have a lot things. of thoughts on vulnerability i think there's also um there's also a lot of vulnerability porn out there. And what I mean by that is people kind of using this vulnerability to get attention or to sort of show how vulnerable they are, right? And it's a little sometimes disingenuous. Now that I've said it to you, you're going to see it. You're going to be like, oh yeah, now I know what Vanessa is talking about, you know, because, because the word gets thrown around. And so again, I think it really comes down to a practice. So I have this practice because I was a liar most of my life, right? Like I didn't, I didn't tell anybody anything about what I was saying. So I was like, how am I going to deprogram myself? I got to do the opposite in small ways over and over and over and over again. And so I decided to do it publicly. I don't think that's for everybody, right? I don't think it should be for everybody. But on my Instagram, I was like, I'm going to wake up in the morning, think about what I'm thinking. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to blurt it out. And honestly, like the things I was thinking, they're not like, you know, they're not so controversial. You know, I was like, I'm really exhausted today. I can't get out of bed. And I would have mothers coming to me and be like, thank you so much for saying the thing that I had on my mind. It really helped me. And again, I'm not saying anything like crazy. I'm just being like, what's true right now for me? 
And let me just blurt it out. But let me tell you how many times I had a vulnerability hangover from that where I would blurt it out and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I just said that out loud. What are people going to think of me? And I started going, you know, and I had to just tolerate that and say, this is my practice. This is my conscious practice to shift away from hiding everything about me, because this is the only way I'm going to chip away at that old programming. And so for people who are like, I'm not really interested in sharing my every morning thought on Instagram, which is fair. You can do it to yourself in a journal. You can just wake up in the morning and be like, what feels true to me right now? And write it to yourself in a journal. I think that there's a real value to saying it to another. You don't have to say it to another every day, but to start to practice this idea of like, what's, what just, what's just true right now for me? Let me at least acknowledge and see what it is. And then let me start to practice telling other people like, Hey, do you want to come to this lunch with me? No, actually, I don't. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like in little ways, just practicing being honest, being honest with other people, you know, sharing what you feel with other people. And so I've like lost I've lost the question now, but um there's a you have to practice. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because it does feel really the first time someone says, you know, do you want to go for lunch and you don't really want to go and you say, well, no, I don't. And it's so weird if you think of it outside, out of context. Well, if you don't want to go for lunch, well, it's perfectly acceptable not to go. That's fine. But we feel that particularly um, I refer to myself as like I'm a people pleaser in reform. So mm -hmm. there's always like there's always an inner inner battle. And sometimes someone will say something. And in my head, I'm saying, don't say it. Don't say you'll do it. Don't say you'll do it. And the, the silence feels like it lasts for 15 minutes, but it's probably only like a couple of seconds. And they go, yeah, cool. No worries at all. And you got to but it's that reinforcing it over time, like you say, yeah. And, and it gets easier. The first time is the hardest. It does get easier, but I don't think it ever goes away. You know, this, there's, this, there's this movie, um, A Beautiful Mind, about the schizophrenic mathematician. And at the end of the movie, somebody says to uh, Russell Crowe as the actor, John Nash, are they still there? Meaning his hallucinations. It's a little girl and a man. And he looks over. He's like, yeah, they're still here, but if I ignore them long enough, maybe they'll decide they're bored of me. So that people pleaser in reform is really powerful, right? Because you're going to like, you're going to have this practice. You're going to practice telling the truth. You're going to practice being honest. You're going to practice showing yourself. And 15 years down the road, something's going to come up and that people pleaser thing is going to come back and you're going to be like, oh, there it is again. That's okay. That's okay, right? You're undoing decades of conditioning. And what you can say to that pe people pleaser part is like, I see you. Hello again, friend, old friend. You've been with me for so long. I see you. I know you. I hear you. But I'm going to do it a different way. And so people get really frustrated that they're like, it's still there. It's like, yeah, it's still there. It served a really good purpose for you as a child. It did things for you. It's been your friend for a long time. Don't try and force it out the door. Befriend it. Mm. Be like, I, I hear you voice that's telling me to do this thing. Yeah. Not like, I'm so mad at myself for still having this voice. Let me shame it out the door because that's not going to work.
Mm. Let's befriend it and be like, I hear you, but I'm actually still going to do this thing. Yeah. I think sometimes as well, like we kind of need a little bit of leftover as well, right? Just to remind us because the, yeah. the, the opposite of that is you do get those people who kind of go through life very sort of like full of bluster and noise. And it's like, well, this is me. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. And if you don't like it, fuck you, I don't care. Right. And you, yeah. like, you don't want to be that person either. Right. So, you know, so we've got to kind of find that, that balance between, am I saying this because it's um, you know, it's authentic to me and it's it's what I believe, you know, am I doing it to please that person or am I being a bit of a dick here? Because that's quite possible too, right? Yeah, yeah. Kind of figure it out. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and I think there's a there's totally a way to be honest and loving at the same time, right? Like you care about this person who's invited you and I think there's a way to say it where you're not going to hurt them. It's not the goal, right? Like, and those things can reconcile. Like the people pleaser in us thinks that, taking care of other people being liked is not compatible with being true to ourselves. And so we have compromised being true to ourselves in order to make people feel comfortable, make us feel liked, make other people like us, but they are compatible. There is a way to bring them together, but that is a skill to yeah. say, you know, I honor our friendship. And right now at this moment in my life, I can't do this. A friend of mine invited me to dinner and she's in town tonight and I love her and I love spending time with her. But I looked at my life and I said, I've been really busy with my kids. I'm doing college applications and they've got school and I haven't spent any time with my husband and I need to prioritize him. And I told her, I'm so sad to miss dinner with you. I know you're just in town, but right now I need to prioritize being with my husband. And she said, of course, great. You know, it was in no way, um, making her feel that I didn't care about her or love her or prioritize her or honor our friendship. It was just honest and loving. Um, and so I think that this, we have to disabuse ourselves of this notion that we cannot at the same time honor our needs and take care and love and have relationships with people um, where they feel taken care of and honored. We can do both. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lovely, um, a lovely place to be, right? A lovely, uh, lovely state mm -hmm. to, to be in. Yeah, there's a couple of, I'm really conscious of your time, Vanessa, and there's a couple of things yeah. I just want to kind of run past you be before you go. But um, I wanted to ask about things that, other things that you do to um, just look after yourself generally, you know, like day-to-day mm. -day well-being. And I know that surfing is um, is important to you, right? I wanted to ask yeah. about uh, about surfing. Is that something you've done for a while? So I started surfing after I stopped breastfeeding my fifth child. Right. So from when I was pregnant with my first to when I stopped breastfeeding, my fifth was eight years Wow, of being pregnant, breastfeeding or both at the same time. So my body was shot. I mean, I was just I was just exhausted and frustrated. And I was an athlete and I, you know, certainly didn't feel like an athlete in that point. And I learned to surf at 35 years old and I got in the water and I was like, oh, this is what I need. There was something about, I've always loved the ocean. There was something about the wildness of it. Like the wipeouts were my favorite that took me from a place where I was so numb. I was like a robot, you know? I was like a baby growing, baby feeding, butt wiping, diaper changing robot. And I felt alive again for the first time. And so I got addicted really, really quickly. Um, and I've been trying to surf as much as I can ever since then, 
it's hard because I got kids and they're in school. And so I don't end up surfing as much as I like, but um, it is such a feeling of surrender. Um, being in the ocean to me is the fastest way to get into a flow state that I've experienced. Because when you're trying to catch a wave, I don't know, are you a surfer? No, I'm not. No, no, no. no. When you're trying to catch a wave, you kind of have to sort of um, perceive the ocean and anticipate the ocean. And so you're in this state of just like deep observation of nature. So, I mean, I could say so much about um, why I think surfing is such a, a powerful bomb for the soul. And I actually think everything in life can be a surf metaphor. <laughs> You know, uh, but it's also part of this idea of when you're sitting on the ocean, you recognize that like the ocean is so much bigger and stronger than you, that you actually have no control, that what is going to come at you is going to come at you. And so what you can do is you can build awareness of what's coming at you. You can build skills of managing what's coming at you, but you have no control of what's coming at you. All you can do is flow in and out of whatever's whatever's going to come. And so, yeah, no, I, I love it. And I do surf retreats where I take women who have never surfed before. Wow. And I think that um, trying something new in a really supportive environment, trying something physical and being in the ocean that's new and challenging where you cannot do it perfectly. You're going to mess up. You're going to, you know, we keep our lives so tight and so controlled. And so it's an amazing opportunity um, to have a really different experience. And there's so many, there's so many ways in which that physical experience translates into navigating our emotional world. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I surf as much as I can. I would say I'm improving, but more slowly than I would like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's so many of the things we've talked about today, like feed into that, that journey of jumping on a surfboard at, at 35, you know, like yeah. the, that's, that's vulnerable. A lot of people would be scared to do that. Right. And you have to be scared to do it and things like that. It's, um, it's a really lovely thing. I've had a few people on it surf in the UK. We've got a organization called the wave project and they, they take mm. um, young people down to the, down to the beach and surf with them to help them with their uh, mental health problems and stuff. We've done an episode with them and um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. It's, it's what I really, I I'm really interested in fear. I'm really interested in sitting in the place of fear and observing it. Because a lot of times when fear comes up, we're not aware of it. We just push it away. We just do everything we can to get away from it. And so it's like, what happens if we can actually create enough space to sit in and observe ourselves in fear and determine whether the fear is actually serving us, preventing us from going to a place where we're going to be harmed, or the fear is a story that's preventing us from going to a place we want to go. So like, I think fear in the physical is a really, really interesting way to start to unravel fear in the emotional world. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose like, I don't know, one of the underlying things that's come away from our conversation today more than anything is this idea of curiosity and mm. whether that's curiosity about, you know, what our triggers are or curiosity about what we can do about them or to, to start taking those steps when we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And you know, that that's, that seems to be a really strong, Theme. Yeah, and that's um that's given me a lot to chew on today vanessa i've um, yeah. i enjoyed that immensely thank you so much for your time today mate that was uh... Th thank you i love the conversation i really appreciate it oh, thank you for joining me.
Big up to the proper mental podcast. Proper mental podcast.